From the Medical Republic, I'm Wendy John. Thanks for joining me. When you decided to become a doctor, did you have a strong motivation to run your own clinic? And if you've now become a clinic owner, how often do you wonder, how can I make this thing more profitable? Well, today's guests have a lot of advice to share about just that, how to boost profit, while also looking after the most valuable asset you have, your team. Dr. Sachin Patel and Dr. Todd Cameron run Scale My Clinic, a business consulting group that work with doctors to increase the financial viability of their businesses. And they reckon that clinic owners only need a few hours a week to commit to doing things better to see positive outcomes. So I'm super curious. Let's find out what they have to say. Thanks for joining us, Dr. Cameron and Dr. Patel. Thank you. Thank you. Could you give us a quick rundown of your respective backgrounds? Absolutely. So, um, my background is, uh, and Todd, um, GP, qualified in the, in the UK, did a business degree during my medical studies, always loved business, was brought up in a news agent from the age of 11, so was always working in and around business, and then really wanted to go into practice ownership, so made that journey, and then made the journey into, into coaching and helping others once they came to approach and ask for and request for help with their businesses, so that was a brief rundown of uh, start to end. Uh, teamed up with Todd three years ago to create uh, Scale My Clinic and uh, we've gone from there and worked with over 200 practices across the country. Growing up in a household that has its own small business, you learn a lot as a kid, don't you? Yeah, yeah, the good and the bad. I did the same. You learn out how much work it is that goes on behind the scenes. Yeah, you never switch off, you know, always on. Mm. Uh, uh, there's always this competition between you know, needing to serve those you love and then those that, you know, buy from you in order to put dinner on the table. It can be a pretty challenging environment mm. um, uh, and taxing in, in many ways. And people don't, you know, in any business I've seen, uh, people struggle to get the rewards that their, their endeavours and their time and sacrifices deserve. And is that a motivation for Scale My Clinic for you? Oh, yeah, 100%. You know, for us, you know, general practice, 85 to 90% of the people we work with are GPs, 10 to 15% are, you know, from other industries, but own practices. You know, having been doctors ourselves, we've seen and understand exactly how much, you know, effort people put in, just not just as business owners, but as clinicians and the sacrifices that are made. And for us, you know, people deserve what we call success in heart, mind and wallet, which means, you know, you need people to make sure that they are getting, knowing they're doing a good job, feeling like they're doing a good job um, and having an impact, but also getting the, the financial rewards that, that come with that. Yeah, absolutely. And what about you, Todd? What is, what's the rundown of your background? Yeah, so uh, my, my background's a, a bit unusual. I, um, I started medicine because I spent a lot of time in, in uh, hospitals as a kid with asthma that wasn't particularly well managed. Uh, and my dad was in insurance. And so um, while I was sort of getting into medicine or I had a mindset that I would get into medicine, I was reading a lot of books, you know, Brian Tracy and, and all these old Zig Ziglar books because they're laying around the house and I was pretty studious. So I was reading all these business books, didn't really know how that would apply. And then um, myself started setting up a group of practices in 2003. I opened my first clinic. In 2016, the two largest clinics that I co-owned with an accountant and a, an investment banker were taken public via a reverse listing on the ASX. Uh, that company was called B. 
BGD, old mining company. And then I was a director of that ASX listed entity until 2018. And in that time, we grew that business to have $175 million of revenue. It had general practice, allied health, uh, home care and uh, mobile services into aged care. And so during that time, you know, I did a lot of due diligence on practices, had been coaching a few people that were owners pro bono through that time. And just realized that there are a lot of people out there that have worked a long time to essentially have businesses that had no return or a very minimal return. Uh, and that's when Sachin and I kind of teamed up. We were like, this isn't right. These people are doing a lot of work and they really deserve more than what they're currently getting. And we uh, we appreciate that you know general practice needs to be just more than just viable. It needs to thrive to attract you know the best to the sector, and that was our motivation. So yeah, an unusual way through to the, the space where we are now, but grateful that uh, that it unrolled as it did. Yeah, I was going to ask you both where did you get your business now from because I don't teach that in medical school, but I think you've I think you've both really answered that very well. What are the biggest mistakes that you see clinic owners make? So I think, uh, you know, these are the, the multivariant uh, and often not the owner's fault. I think the, the first thing I want to say is these aren't made out of intention. They're, uh, they're not made because... Uh, People are incompetent or anything like that. No, no, yeah. absolutely. The reality is that, you know, as most owners are clinicians and clinicians have many requirements on them, especially around continuing professional development. But there's no professional development really as part of requirements to keep licenses around business side of things. So there's no compulsion at all to learn and it's not of training. But the common things that, that we see are in no particular order, you know, there's this propensity to, you know, to want to DIY, uh, you know, do it yourself. Um, mm. Medicine can be, you know, it's well documented uh, historically, uh, you know, quite an isolating profession and uh, often quite you know, unsupportive um, in medical training. And so sometimes people can go into ownership and think they have to do everything themselves. Allied to that, there is then people who come promising solutions. And because it's to the medical industry, those solutions carry a hefty price tag, but with no real lived experience or expertise. Mm. Um, then there's probably the not changing hats part. So as, a, as an owner, especially if you're a, a GP owner, uh, there are several hats you wear. You wear the hat of a clinician. You wear the hat of a business operator. You wear the hat of an investor in your business. Mm. And those different hats require different actions and different approaches. But but when you don't actually change the hats, often you're making business operator or ownership decisions with a doctor's hat on. And that can lead to quite a lot of confusion and lack of clarity. Then within the business, having good, high quality role clarity, who's doing what, and then holding people accountable to that, super important. But, but that's often something that easily falls by the wayside. And then I think one of the key elements for a general practice is a, a failure to understand who the core customer is. So when you're a GP, your core customer is the patient in front of you. But when you're an owner, patients aren't actually the core customer. The core customer is, is the clinician's. And if we serve the clinicians well, they can then serve the patients well. That relates to having to wear all of these different hats and maybe making decisions with the wrong hat on. 100%. And so uh, until awareness is brought to that, you wouldn't be aware of that. You'd just be, you know, operating through the day and off you go. Um, So they're probably the main ones. Why do you think that these, these mistakes are so common? 
doctors are extremely smart people with extremely good intentions to bring something positive to the world. So I think underpinning much of this is we're not trained as, as clinicians in, in leadership and organisational behaviour, organisational change. And so what happens is, aside from those hard business skills, if you can't take people on the journey with you, or you don't have that, that way of approaching things, because normally, you know, as a GP, you're fully autonomous, you're making the decisions without much input from others. But with the hat of an owner, you need to take a whole team with you. You know, there's the, the wise saying, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And so because that is not anything that's taught at all anywhere along the, the whole medical curriculum or postgraduate curriculum, and even in the working world, because it's a soft skill, there's no numbers around it, people don't put as much focus on it that it needs. And so because that's missing, all of the other parts, even if you learn everything about finance and HR and operations, if you don't have that leadership skill and ability and you haven't learned that, then you can learn the best tactical things, the best things to implement, but actually getting them implemented becomes super difficult. Maybe a question for you, Todd. Could you list, not wanting to oversimplify this, but could you list maybe <laughs> the, the, the top areas, maybe you know three or five top areas, a clinic owner needs to look at if they want to increase profitability? Yeah, so I think the number one thing to say here is that, you know, clinical excellence is the foundation of everything that we do in general practice. And one of the things that Satcher and I say to people at the point of working with them is to say, if that foundation isn't solid, then you're in a lot of trouble. So that being a given, and we certainly don't coach that, then the areas that we need to look at are revenue and our revenue really comes from two sources in a broad sense. One is from consulting patients and obviously the revenue that comes from that source is divided between the clinician and the practice. And then the other types of revenue that are more directly related to the practice also need to be optimised, you know, so subleases, any government grants or income, etc. All of that needs to be maximised, again, keeping that clinical care in balance. And then the areas that we need to work on on the other side, you know, if we're going to play good offence, we need to play good defence as well. And uh, we broadly sort of put those overheads into fixed overheads and variable overheads. Both of those require continued attention because there is a propensity for costs to creep up. And of course, uh, we're in a relatively high inflation environment at the moment. So, you know, and the trick there is to know where to put your attention because there are a lot of people that have their hand out asking for money in businesses more broadly. But, you know, Sachin talked about it earlier, uh, sometimes running a, uh, a medical business can feel a lot like you're running an event that happens to be called a wedding. You get a special surcharge on top of everything that you pay. Um, <laughs> You know, you can't hide what you do. <laughs> um, and then I think uh, then I think the other things that, that uh, are really important for profitability and one that's probably the longest and slowest bit of work we find with, with practices we coach are organisational role clarity. So making sure that, you know, you've got the appropriate org chart for the type, size of, of organisation and your aspirations. Uh, and that there's, there's really, really super clear roles uh, and goals within each of those uh, each of those areas, and then beyond that is you know the other part that's part of a high performance team is making sure that you're monitoring the right data, and there are dashboards because we really want to make sure that it's a high accountability team too. So we, we really look to work on uh, what we call lead and lag measures. You know the uh, the lag measures are what we often focus on, but lead and lag metrics, so 
dashboard. So I think that's the five, revenue, fixed overheads, variable overheads, organizational role clarity, and uh, monitoring the right data with dashboards. You can't manage what you don't measure, hey? Absolutely. Once again, this is oversimplifying it, but do you have some advice and practical tips that you have for each of those areas? Yeah. So I think the first step is actually believing that it's possible um, as an owner. Why do, when you, why do you say that? Uh, well, I think, you know, when you, when people have struggled for some time or not seen the results that they want, it can be difficult to actually believe that there is a better result possible and that anyone could be doing better than you are. Uh, you just get stuck in a lull. And so, for example, you know, we've done this little process that we have done with clinics and we've found over a five-day period, five hours, it's um, something we call a treasure hunt that we've, we've done. We've done it with about 200 clinics and 99% have found at least $50,000 of profit sitting latent in their business. Mm. Um, uh, and we've seen people find as much as $1.2 million annually of profit that they've just left on the table because they didn't know it was possible. So I think the first thing I would say is that you know, any owner that's listening to this, there's a 99% chance that there's more profit sitting in your business and you just need to unlock it. So that's first. So once you know it's possible, then you need to go and do it. And so the areas you'd then be thinking about, and Todd, you know, talked about the, the revenue side and uh, the cost side. If we, if we focus on the, the revenue side, there's probably four areas that we need to think of. It, it's going to be, you know, how many appointments are booked and billed in a time frame. The revenue per encounter, so you know how much you are able to harvest from each appointment. The frequency of attendance, you know how often people come in a year. Uh, those are going to be the main things. Before all of that, the first other part that you need to be super clear on is that you can't be there for everyone. So now in the modern environment, it's super competitive. There are pressures on sustainability. You need to be clear who you're for and not for, both in terms of GPs and patients. So that's really something we need to get comfortable with, that we can't serve everyone, which is, you know, can be quite difficult for uh, someone who's been in general practice for some time to comprehend that that's, that's necessary. Mm. Then in terms of tactics, I'll just give you a few simple ones and a couple of stories that might be helpful. So I think when we're focusing on booked appointments, you then you have two two possibilities. Either you've got appointments spare and you need to fill them. But I think right now, the much more common scenario is people don't have enough appointments available because recruitment and retention yeah. is a challenge. Yes. And so there's a few things you need to do there. Number one, you need to make sure your setup is optimized. And so all your clinical teams are working at their highest value and so you don't have doctors doing simple things or uh, having appointments that aren't optimized to be as slick as possible because you need to optimize for capacity of course within the realms of what the doctor wants not telling them what to do it's working with them and understanding their frustrations but then you need to get really good at recruitment so in a competitive and challenging environment as now you need to stand out and so you know for example we've we've seen members in, in our coaching program run run recruitment funnels where they've been able to recruit GPs, vocationally registered GPs as leads into them for about $140 per interested vocationally registered GP. 
now these funnels have worked so well that within you know four weeks or so they've had to switch them off because they've had too many applicants so it's completely possible but you need to do something different to that which others are doing around you so i think those are two things from a booked appointments point of view if we go to revenue per encounter so how much you bill each time someone comes probably the most topical item right now is around bulk billing or mixed billing yeah it's pretty much uh, front of mind for most gps i think Mm. but the part that people haven't considered which of course bulk billing versus mixed billing is quite simple right it's binary either you bulk bill or you know you mix bill however the bit that lies below it that people often unaware of is what we call altruistic bulk billing so there may be practices there will be i can tell you practices who are nominally mixed billing however when you look at their billing in detail the proportions will show that actually they're still bulk billing you know 70 80 90 plus percent of patients so even though they've set fees that are on the walls and you know advertised somehow that isn't translating into action at the point of billing now that people would you know potentially be oblivious to because uh, they think if they haven't looked into it that they're you know they're a mixed billing practice but actually when they look under the surface they're still bulk billing just not in name and so what we've seen there is we've seen people that we work with in project x or coaching membership we've seen them be able within five months triple uh, their private billing proportion from say 20% to 66% as an mm. example, just by paying attention to this, this element that they hadn't actually thought of the altruistic bulk billing element. And this is where it's challenging wearing those different hats as a doctor. There's the, that altruistic approach that is uh, compelling as a business owner, not so compelling to bulk bill. How do people deal with that from a values perspective? Absolutely. We asked this owner who went through this process herself and we, you know, we asked her and uh, her approach was that uh, twofold because this person has a very strong sense of, you know, social justice. So this owner said of the interactions with the GPs that, you know, if I'm supporting their business, I expect them to support mine. Right. So we have to create win-wins between GP and the owner. Win-win. Yeah. And then from a patient perspective, she just got really comfortable that we can't be for everyone and we can't subsidize healthcare for the community. She, you know, they calculated every bulk build appointment for them was costing $15 out of the practice's pocket to fund and that they could no longer do that. And it wasn't their job to do that. Um, yeah. Uh, and I think it's just getting comfortable with that. And then in terms of values, it's just finding the patients and doctors that match the values. And that goes to what I said at the beginning, which is the four, who you're for and who you're not for, and being comfortable that your job isn't to serve who you're not for, that's someone else's job. Mm-hmm. Your job is to serve relentlessly with value those that you are for, that match you. And I think just one more element I'd say on the cost side, so, you know, thinking of sustainability and margins we we talked about gp recruitment difficulties but also administrative staff um, is a challenge of staffing that side and so with that and the cost pressures that we talked about earlier we're going to see a move over the coming weeks months and years towards more off-site and offshoring of administrative functions within a practice 
uh, not with the intention of sacking people in the or making people redundant in the practice, but actually having uh, the best use of each of our human resources. So having people work at their highest value where they can offer the most value to the people we serve. And so that's going to be a big uh, move over the over the coming um, near and medium future. The ability to add capacity to your practice at a lower price point. 100%, you know, potentially to save, you know, 70% on a full-time equivalent salary and get higher output. These are going to be real considerations that practices are going to have to make. Mm, interesting. How important is mindset in all of this? Maybe Todd, you might like to respond to that. Yeah. Uh, so it's interesting. We were talking earlier about the different hats and, uh, you know, those that are listening that are, that are doctor owners and, and probably that's the majority. Uh, general practice can be really task heavy. It can be really spirit heavy and decision dense work at times. And so what that means is, you know, you may not have a lot of cognitive bandwidth left over for consulting. And so um, one of the things that, that Sachin and I have done, we've got a model that basically looks like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And so on the bottom layer of this uh, hierarchy is the nightmare job. And that's typically where we start. You know, and that's the joke about entrepreneurs, right? An entrepreneur is prepared to do twice the work for half the return just so they don't have to do it for somebody else. Um, <laughs> But that's the reality of how we often start in business. You know, we, we're we're getting a suboptimal return because we have a fundamental belief that we want to solve a problem that we've identified and we think we can get there later on. Now, yeah. that's okay to start like that. You just don't want to stay there for too long because you can you can get um, basted in a survival mindset. You know, you, you, if you don't work, you don't get paid. And so then the layer above that is is a good job, you know, where you're actually, and these doctors often talk about it like they're getting a higher percentage retention than normal. So they might say, oh, yeah, I get paid this, and it's a bit above uh, what they would have been paid in the open marketplace, but not a sufficient return for the risks they've taken uh, and all of the obligations they've taken on, you know, their signatures obviously on everything. The layer above that is the real business layer. In order to transition from that nightmare job to good job layer, people have to overcome the belief that if it is to be, it's up to me. You know, you've got to get the team involved. And then you can ascend up to a real business layer where, you, where you're kind of getting some uh, business return. So there's business income. I'm not going to call it passive income because it is anything but passive. Yeah. Uh, and then in order to get to the next layer, so we often find people pause at this real business because they kind of look around, see their colleagues in those in those bottom two layers and say, you know what, I, I'm, I'm better off than they are and so maybe this is as good as it gets. But there is another layer above that which is creating an asset and in the asset layer, you know, you thrive, you're often getting a business income that allows you a bit more time freedom. You know, you're not just taking the off cuts of the holidays uh, and you've often got a highly performing team. And obviously when you go to sell uh, an asset, you prefer to sell an asset than, uh, you know, a good business, a real business or a, or a good job, uh, you, you'll get a much, much greater return. So the mindset is a really key part of that. And, and one of the things that we find is fascinating with owners when they start working with us and the businesses are often in those lower two layers, uh, they often say things like, gee, I didn't know this was possible or, uh, you know, um, I'm really enjoying ownership again. Uh, and it comes back to the fact that you've got to be around a community of like-minded people. Uh, you know, none of us is smarter than all of us. We've got to be lifting each other up in this space. Otherwise, you know, it's normal for our mindset to waver. And so 
you need to stay really close to the fire and the fire being, you know, good ideas, new ideas, people that have trod the pathway before you uh, and making sure that you're, you are actually remaining of a, of a positive mindset because, you know, you're a leader of other people. If you're, if you're in an unresourceful state, you're lacking hope, you're feeling as if there really isn't a positive future, it's going to be really hard for the people around you to believe otherwise. So Absolutely. Um, I'd say mindset is is really the beginning and end of progress. You know, we, we do need to make sure that we're on top of this. And to have a tribe who are going through the same sort of things and being able to share those ideas, like you said, being on the, the leading edge of practice management, that must be quite powerful in terms of helping people feel better about running their practice. Absolutely. Yeah, out-learn out your mistakes rather than out-earn your mistakes. Ah, <laughs> that's nice. Well, look, that's a good place to wrap up on. Thank you so much, Dr. Todd Cameron and Dr. Sachin Patel. Thanks for joining us today on The Tea Room. Thanks, Wendy. Uh, real real uh, pleasure to be along and uh, thanks for giving us a bit of time. Yeah, thanks, Wendy. Real pleasure. Um, love sharing insights and uh, having this conversation. Cheers. Great. Thank you again. That was Dr. Todd Cameron and Dr. Sachin Patel from the business consulting group Scale My Clinic. I'm Wendy John. Thanks for joining me in The Tea Room. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can search for us on your favourite podcast player and subscribe. Leave us a review if you like. If you have any news tips or want to chat, you can email me at wendy at medicalrepublic.com.au. The Tea Room is a production from the journalists at the Medical Republic. Visit us at medicalrepublic.com.au to keep up to date with all the latest news and views in general practice. And while you're there, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter. We love to keep you informed. Thanks for tuning in.